You are listening to the Balkan Bread Podcast. This is a podcast created to connect diaspora worldwide by sharing each other's stories. Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Balkan Bread podcast. My name is Amina, and thank you guys so much for being here. If it's your first time listening to the podcast, I'll just give you a quick rundown of what we're all about. So I really enjoy talking to other diaspora or people who were either born in the Balkans or of Balkan heritage, living outside of that region, just hearing their stories, hearing about all of the amazing things that they've accomplished. We've had a couple of episodes before just talking with other people who have published books. Um, My friend Adela published a poetry book. She actually has two books now um, recently, which was so awesome. So if you haven't listened to that episode, definitely go check it out if you're interested in getting published. She offered a lot of other helpful information, things like that. So today we are kind of continuing that um, book theme, if you will. (laughs) So we have another young author. um, It might be our youngest guest on the podcast, actually, not to like put her on the spot or anything, but just as I think about it, um, really amazing story. I actually heard about it on Instagram. Um, I believe we had like a mutual follower or something. And basically she told me that, hey, I know this girl, she's writing this book. This is, you know, generally what it's going to be about. And I was just thinking, you know, that is so freaking cool. And just to be at a young age and to write about things that, you know, your other family members experienced as refugees is super powerful um, and definitely, you know, something worth checking out. Also, while we're on the topic of books, if you guys haven't joined our Balkan book club, you definitely should. We read one new book every single month, and word on the street is, the book we're about to talk about is actually going to be our book of the month for January, so not sure when you will be listening to this, but if you aren't in the club, definitely join. It's super easy. I will leave it in the show notes of this podcast episode. So I'm going to introduce our guest. So today we have Ella Cholich, and she actually just published her very first book. It's called Trees Without Roots, and I'm so excited to have her on. So I'm going to let her kind of introduce where she's from and just tell you a little bit more of her story. Yeah, thank you so much for the warm introduction and for having me on your podcast. I'm super excited to talk about it more. So I'm from San Jose and my parents are from Bosnia. So that makes me the first gen American in my family because I'm the oldest sibling. I'm also a freshman at Occidental College studying biology with the pre-med track. But eventually I hope with that to go more into reconstructive facial transplants or facial surgery. So, I mean, I don't really have much of a background because I am so young. I'm only 18 years old, you know, I just started living life. But I mean, besides that, I really do enjoy playing sports like golf, skiing, snowboarding, 
So like in a way, just like your average student, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But I think that makes you, you know, more relatable to anyone out there listening who, you know, has maybe thought about publishing a book and you're like, well, you know, I'm so young. I don't know if I could do it. So um, we'll kind of get into that later on. But when did you first become interested in writing in general? Was it something that you always loved to do or was it just kind of something that stemmed from, you know, starting with this book and just writing the entire, you know, um, first draft of it? When I was younger, I loved writing poems. I would always write them or some short stories whenever I had the time. I was also part of this refugee event where I read a poem when I was nine years old and was featured in this sort of newspaper. I don't remember. But I didn't really think of writing a book until I got the letters on Thanksgiving two years ago because I figured it would be a great story for other people to understand the refugee perspective and what really happened in the Balkans. Yeah, I think that's so cool because so many people wrote letters. That's something my parents did as well. And when you're in a war zone and that's really the only kind of form of communication that is somewhat reliable it's cool to kind of look back at it and just see everything that was exchanged during that time period reading each letter kind of takes you back in terms of that moment you know what was going through that person's head and just I don't know it's one of the coolest things so did she always like had she just like found the letters or had she always held on to them or was there something in particular where she had just decided to show them to you? So it was actually my grandma from my dad's side who had the letters and gave them to my aunt. Like she had a couple of them in her attic that she never really looked at. But when like her my grandma gave it to her, she decided to look for some more. And then she decided it would be a good idea to um, give it to me to actually like understand where we came from and how we got to this point. So I think that was like a good move on her part because to be honest, I was like completely clueless about my identity. Like I knew I was Bosnian, but I didn't really know who I was, if that makes sense. So this really gave me a better chance to explore my family and my identity. Yeah, no, that that makes perfect sense because especially if you're born here, then sometimes you kind of fall into this trap of just, um, I like hate saying like Americanized, but you, you know, that's where you grew up. That's what you're used to. But at the same time, like there's a certain part of you that, you know, is from somewhere else. And I think you get to a certain age where you're also kind of curious about it. You want to learn more about it. At least that's kind of how it was for me being born here as well in high school or maybe even middle middle school was probably the first time where I was like what is this war that they keep talking about like I don't understand what this is and so I started looking it up and just kind of seeing you know obviously realizing why I hadn't been told anything about it growing up and then high school was really kind of that turning point where I started you know, writing. I would write so many different essays in in college as well, just about Bosnia and about my identity. It was kind of, the good thing about that is you always have something to write about and something to share. And it's a little bit more interesting than, you know, the typical student, I would say. So um, definitely use that to my advantage. But I think it's really cool to look back on these different stories that, you know, our family members 
lived through. It wasn't that I like didn't ask them before. I was like, oh, like I'm Bosnian and we celebrated all these holidays. Like, what does this mean? And just be like, oh, when you're older, you know, we'll talk more about it. So it was always kind of brushed off. But, you know, after reading the letters, I was like, oh, I finally understand now because of all that trauma. They didn't want to put that onto me. And they wanted me to have like a happy childhood that they never had. And I think that's something that most parents do because, you know, they came here to make sure that we have more opportunities and that we have a better quality of life and that, you know, we don't have to go through the same struggles that they went through. Like that's, you know, any parents hope for their children, obviously. So I think that's one of the reasons why they didn't want to talk about it. But then you have this interesting dynamic where it's like the next generation and we're super curious about it, even though it's something that we didn't personally go through. It has affected us in so many different ways. I've talked to different people about, you know, just a lot of people have PTSD after the war and how that transgenerational trauma is kind of like passed down in different ways, shapes and forms to obviously us and then you know when we go to have kids it's it's a very interesting topic um so yeah I think it's it's cool to kind of ask those questions and now when you get older hopefully your parents are going to open up a little bit more about it and not shy away from the topic because I think even though it's something that happened you know now over 20 years ago it's still important it's still something that needs to be talked about because it does affect us, um, you know, whether we like it or not. I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, what else was I going to say? Okay, yes, so the next question on the, like, Trees Without Roots website and also just from having conversations with you, one of the things that you mentioned is coming from this mixed heritage, this mixed background, so what was it like growing up with um, like two different kind of traditions? I just think this would be helpful for people who also come from a similar upbringing. You know, both their parents might not be Bosnian, one might be Croatian, one might be Serbian. And I think sometimes it's harder for those people to kind of almost relate. I don't know, in a sense. So could you just tell us a little bit more about your experiences with that while you were growing up? Yeah, of course. So for those of you that don't know, I'm half Muslim and half Orthodox, but I also went to a Catholic high school and I do have some Catholic family members as well. And I would say the biggest thing for me when I was younger and I wasn't really aware of it, is just remembering that there was always some sort of celebrations. Like we would celebrate Christmas twice, we would have New Year's twice, and then we have like Bairam. So for me, I was like in paradise, you know, because I'm always getting like presents and gifts and stuff like that all the time. So I never really questioned it, you know, I was just kind of enjoying the moment. But then with this project, I kind of learned more about what it meant to be mixed religion and the burdens and trauma and ignorance that comes with it. Because even today, like this happened recently, I was just talking to someone about my background and they went, oh, you're white, how could you be Muslim? And then there's also some comments I've been receiving on my Instagram posts, like, oh, there's no such thing as being dual religious, like you're making it all up. So you can definitely see that there are many people who aren't really aware of what it means to be. So I was hoping that with this book, it could bring some sort of light to the issues that are going around with it. And especially in politics, like you can definitely see the xenophobic and Islamophobic attitudes they're very persistent in the media. 
and I'm not going to go too much into it because it's like so complex, but I was really quiet about my identity. It wasn't because I was ashamed of who I was. I was just worried as to how people would react to it. Because, you know, you always have the stereotypes of being Muslim and you're also coming from a background whose two sides fought against each other. So it's kind of like many people see it as you don't have an identity. And I was talking about it with my aunt more and she was talking about the Bosnian elections and how there isn't even a party for those from mixed religious backgrounds. It's either you're one or the other and you can't choose, you know, if you can't pick a side of who you are, you have to embrace, you know, yourself. And you know how in Bosnia they have the names so you can like definitely tell who is with religion and stuff right. like that. Yeah, so my parents wanted to name me and my siblings with international names so that people couldn't prejudge me just off of hearing my name. It's definitely one of those topics that I, I like to talk about because it's kind of one of the reasons why I decided to create Balkan Bread too. It's not just for people who grew up, you know, in this one nationality. It's for people who, you know, their families come from, you know, all these different sides or, you know, are maybe you're married to someone who isn't even from the Balkans or something like that. You know, like there's so many different groups and I wasn't even 100% aware of it until I started this platform and being on Instagram and hearing from people and the different experiences that they had just because, you know, their mom was Serbian and their dad was Bosnian or whatever. Not that it even matters, you know, which way it goes. It really shouldn't matter. I think you know, there is a lot of history behind it, but for our generation, it's really important for us to, you know, not have so much, um, I don't know what the right word is, just like animosity towards each other. I think a lot of it is just deeply rooted in what older generations are, you know, telling their kids and things like that. So just hearing from you, I think it's really refreshing that you know, you describe the different holidays and celebrating, you know, everything growing up. I think that's something that is awesome because that's also what was done in former Yugoslavia, right? Like everyone, you know, celebrated Byron Christmas, this, that, it didn't matter. And so just hearing that, you know, you can celebrate both and there's nothing wrong with it. I think that's, that's very, very important because imagine if you were in the place where it's like you had to choose you know, one nationality or the other or something. I just think that would be so, so wrong because, you know, you are both, you're your own person too. Like if you take away all of this stuff, like just, you know, forget the Balkans, forget all of that. Like you're your own person, like we're all human. So that's just how I like to look at it. But it's interesting how you mentioned that people were saying that you can't be of like the dual religion or I'm not sure what term it was that you used, but just like comments that you were getting on Instagram. Um, I'm just like, okay, we, this is, it's 2020. Like how are, how are some people so, I don't know, stuck in their ideas and, you know, like, I don't know. I just, I just don't understand that. I think it just like all comes down to respect. You know, last night I was talking to my mom about what it meant being dual religious. And she was like, when you're older and you have your own kids, you know, what religion are you going to put them in? And I said, I mean, that's ultimately up to them. Because for me personally, I celebrate both religions from my dad's and mom's side because it's a matter of respect for their religion. I can't pick and be like, oh, I'm going to be Muslim like my dad or I'm going to be Orthodox like my mom. 
it's just crazy how with my background, I can connect to so many other people. I took this world religions class in my high school and there was this Orthodox priest and I saw his name tag. He called himself Nebo, but on his name tag, it said Neboisha. So I was like, oh my God, it's someone from the Balkans. And then he started coming around, introducing himself to everyone, giving us a handshake. And he came to me and I greeted him in Bosnian. And you should have seen the look on his face. So even though we came from different backgrounds, we could still relate to the identity of coming from the Balkans. And it's just, I don't know, it was a beautiful moment. My teacher was freaking out. She was like, oh my God, what is happening? Why did they switch up the language? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, so even though like there is that side of ignorance and, you know, all the stuff that we have to work on in regards to social injustices, there's also that beauty of, you know, having that, diversity and using it to your advantage to reach out to others and finding that likeness. Right, exactly. Because like you said, you know, just from someone's name, you can recognize, you know, ultimately if they're from the Balkans or not. And we all speak the same language, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, we can all talk to each other. Like it's, it's not a big deal. I remember it happened um, one time, your story reminded me of in high school, I think it was in chemistry class or something. And anyway, we had a substitute and she, I think she was Croatian or something. I don't know. She's definitely from the Balkans. I could just tell when she introduced herself and said her name. I was like, oh, I think she's from over there. And so she's reading off the roster and everything. And mind you, I was probably the only like Bosnian kid in this class. There were a few of us in my high school, like a handful, like, I think there were maybe five of us total or something. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a big, big population. And she got to my name. She was like, Amina. And I was like, I'm here. And then she immediately, like in front of the entire class, she just starts talking to me. Like she's standing in front of the entire class. And she's like, oh, like, like, oh, you know, where are you guys from? And, and my whole class is just looking at me like, what are they saying? What is going on? It was just really funny because it, it wasn't something that, I think in high school, I really like people knew I was Bosnian, but I never really talked about it all that much, let alone, you know, spoke it in school. I never had the opportunity really to, except with like maybe, you know, a couple of my friends that were also Bosnian, but it was just a really funny um, kind of moment. Yeah, of course. I know definitely that feeling. And this is kind of another thing I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, more about my last name. So when I was younger, I didn't like putting the accent marks on my last name because I had that mentality that, oh, people are just going to mispronounce it anyway, so you might as well just have the American version, or just colic, right? But it wasn't until high school that I started putting the accent mark. When I started doing that, my teacher started questioning more, questioning me more about it. So they're like, oh, like, how do you actually pronounce it? Where is your last name from? And doing that, it made me, you know, question myself more like, oh, what's there more to behind it? So even though it was such a a small gesture Mm -hmm. of just putting like two ticks on my last name, it opened up this new doorway of just like really exploring who I am. Because I was probably one of the only few Bosnian students there. There was, okay, there's only me and then this other girl who was Croatian. Everything, But I don't know, it's just crazy that small movement really open up this doorway to make me question like, oh, who am I really, you know? 
Right. Definitely. Definitely. No, I think that's, that's a really pivotal moment. And I'm glad that you brought up the name issue because I think a lot of people, it's just easier sometimes for us when people pronounce our name wrong to just kind of go with it and not say anything. But when you think about it, you know, everyone else gets their name said right. So it's like, okay, why can't someone, you know, take that extra effort, if you will? I feel like it's not even extra effort, but we'll just call it that to pronounce my name right because it's really not that difficult you know just sound it out like I'll help you out and we can learn it together but yeah I think it's better to correct people and it's it's not like you have to do it in a rude way or anything at all you can just be like oh yeah this is how you say it you know and it's something interesting for people to learn too I think people appreciate it like especially if they've come from a different foreign background. A lot of times it's foreign professors. I've noticed that will like take the extra effort to like say it right, or they say it right on first try, which I'm like, okay, this is cool. Um, but yeah, a lot of people sometimes are, they just kind of like look at it and they're like, I don't, I'm not sure what that is, but this is my best attempt. Or sometimes they don't even try, like they know they're saying it wrong and they say it wrong anyway, just because like it's difficult, almost like as an excuse, so. My favorite pronunciation I've ever heard so far was click. Like, I don't know how they got that from my last name, but, you know, I was just like, yep, last name's click. Just go with it. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, there are some pretty, pretty interesting things that I think you hear after, you know, hearing it so many times. I just kind of laugh now. I'm like, okay, you know, if that's what you think it is. Yeah. But yeah um okay so I guess we'll kind of get more into talking about the book and I'm gonna skip around to number five because we kind of talked a little bit about um just you know when you got those letters and that was kind of one of the moments when you decided that you wanted to write about that story in particular even though you didn't really have um too much of an idea as to what it would turn into you still kind of went along with it so Could you walk us through the, I guess, writing process as well as the publishing process later on? Like how much time did you spend working on this project? Yeah, so I'm just gonna start it off with saying I literally had no idea where I was going with this. (laughs) Um, I just started like writing about it and then ran with the idea. So first I read through every single letter And I started picking out the ones that I thought were the most important in regards to their story. And then that reading it took me like maybe a couple of weeks. And then I began translating them from Bosnian to English. Well, first transcribing it online into Bosnian and then translating it into English. And translating it actually took me a couple of months because you know how the Bosnian language, it's very sarcastic. There's a lot of idioms and the grammatical structure sometimes doesn't translate properly into English. So it was just a matter of finding how to correctly convey what they're saying into a different language. That was my biggest issue with that one. And then I began the interview process with my dad and aunt. So that one took me about a year and a year and a half just because because it was so spontaneous. Like, yeah, I would sit them down and ask them questions, but sometimes they weren't ready to open up. Like, we could be eating dinner, and then they would start talking about their war experience, and I would, like, pull out my phone and start recording their conversation. 
But then other times when I do have a set of questions ready, I would sit them down. And for my aunt, it was super easy because she could talk nonstop about it. There was even one interview session. It lasted three hours. But for my dad, it was a little bit more difficult because he wasn't ready to open up. And I think the first interview session we ever did, it was five minutes long max and that was me asking like follow-up questions trying to like get some sort of story out of him so there was like just wrestling with that trauma and just being patient and waiting for them to get ready to tell their story to me then after that i started the research portion because it's just finding that history to confirm their story you know i even went to shibinik and look through their archives of the newsletters at the time. And I even have some excerpts into my story just to confirm that, oh, what they're talking about in the letter was actually factual, like it did happen. And then at the end of that, it's just piecing it all together. And I think that with the letters, it did provide a nice base for the timeline because I could base it off of the year and the months and the days and then just continue the story that way. So it was easier to organize my own ideas. But overall, I would say the process took me about two years to complete because when I started this, I was 16 years old. So I was still getting ready for college, you know, taking my AP classes. I was participating in sports. I was on the golf team and I became team captain my senior year. So there was always something going on in the background. So it wasn't just me dedicated to writing the book. I also had to, you know, focus on school and prepare myself, like build up my resume and things like that. Right, exactly, because it was something that you kind of chose to do. It was important enough to you to carve out the time. And eventually, you know, over the course of that year, you were able to kind of, you know, get these different snippets and these different stories and start piecing everything kind of together. At least that's how I'm assuming it sort of went. But it's interesting how you mentioned, like, sometimes it was hard to you know, get answers out of them and things like that. So it's funny, I I think with war experiences in general, a lot of times when people do share it, it's usually off the cuff, like you're not expecting it. You're talking about something like completely different. And then all of a sudden, at least this is just speaking from my experience, my parents, and then all of a sudden they, you know, go into talking about something that happened during the war that is like the farthest from what you would have expected them to say it's something so you know like oh my gosh I can't believe you know you just shared that with me kind of thing and so it's interesting how you know you were like I can sit them down but it's not like they would always answer so I can imagine like how hard that must have been too especially if it were certain stories that you you know hadn't really heard at all before or maybe that they had never really sat down and like talked about with people because a lot of times people will bottle it up and it's not something that you know they want to face so I think if anything with the interview process it helped them like almost as a way of I don't want to say like therapy, but kind of in that way, just like talking about it, I'm sure it was hard, but I think in the long run, it definitely does help. And it gives you a better idea of what they went through and everything like that. Yeah, it was, it was literally like their form of therapy because for them, they were mostly introspective about it. So they kept it to themselves for over 20 years. They didn't really want to talk to anyone about it. 
And also therapy wasn't really a thing that was offered to them when they were undergoing through all these programs in the United States. So I can't imagine the amount of relief they felt after getting their story out there. It was definitely really emotional. Like the interviews were the most emotionally draining piece because they would talk to me about all of these horrors that they went through and I could just, I couldn't do anything about it. Like I could just sit there and listen. So there were definitely a lot of tears during this entire process. And there were even moments of doubt. I did mention this in my book a little bit, but I was doubting if this process was even worth it because my dad would say that he would get nightmares after talking about it because, you know, they're reliving their past. So I was like, oh, is it even worth it to continue on with this project if it's still causing them so much pain? Right. And so, yeah. And then that kind of makes you question like, okay, you know, I know this is important, but I don't want someone to have to go relive almost something that was so traumatic and things like that. But also in general, I think, yeah, when you talk about it, it's going to bring up those memories, but also even if you're not talking about it, you can still have nightmares. You can still, you know, experience these different side effects of PTSD. So I think even though that doubt kind of crossed your mind, I think it's really awesome that you went forward with it. And obviously after, you know, I know we talked about on one of our calls, um, I think when we were talking with your mom, saying how you went through all those different drafts of the story because, you know, you wanted it to be perfect and just the best, I guess, interpretation of their stories as well. So how was it finding like a publisher and everything? Oh, that one, I think I got really lucky with that one. Um, Because finding the publisher is actually the hardest thing, especially if you're an unknown author. So I was, you know, researching, looking for, because I want someone else to publish it. I didn't want to self-publish it because self-publishing it, it would be a bit harder to promote. But with a publisher, you know, they have some background promotions that are happening nonstop. So that would make it a little bit easier on my end. And I was doing some research and I found a live books publishing. Just, it wasn't that far away from where I was living. So I was like, oh, I should go check it out. I reached out to him, sent him an email and he agreed to have a meeting with me. So my mom and I, we walk into his office. My mom walks in first and he goes to greet my mom and he assumes that my mom is actually the author. <laughs> and then my mom just goes like, oh no, no, it's actually my daughter. And then she points to me and I can just see the look on his face. He's like, oh, what the hell? Like, she's 17. What is she doing here? Oh my gosh. I can imagine. And then you probably just wanted to like run away <laughs> from the office. You're like, okay, never mind. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> it, it's hard when you're younger and people just kind of, they automatically doubt you. Like you automatically kind of have that hanging over you. But at the same time, I'm always like, who cares how old the person is if they have something to say? And if they're good at what they do, it really shouldn't matter how old you are. Yeah, well, to be honest, I was so oblivious to his social cue because I was like really nervous. I was like, oh, this is make or break. Like, if I don't get this, I don't know who I'm going to turn to. So I was like, I was sweating. I was about to piss myself. Like, I was so nervous. <laughs> and I sat down in his chair and I just like gave him a little mini elevator space, just to pitch just talking about, you know, what the book is about, what it, you know, the entire story, just a quick summary. And I swear his jaw dropped. He was like, what the hell? Who is this person? (laughs) And my mom, she didn't even know what to say. She was just sitting back the entire time. And I think the entire meeting lasted five minutes. And that's when he agreed 
he would send me a contract to sign. And as long as I sent him a PDF version of one of my drafts that he could read over. And that was that. It took me six months to edit and prepare to publish with him, especially with COVID. It took a really long time because, you know, we had to email back and forth. So if I made changes to the PDF version, I would have to list it all out. And then he would actually have to make the changes through a separate program. And then once he does those changes, he would send it back to me to review. And if I find something I don't like, then it keeps going back and forth and back and forth. But I think I did save some time with the process because I illustrated my own cover, which took me about 28 hours because I made it, the tree is a bit too detailed. <laughs> it's just the perfectionist in me, you know? And then, so that saved a lot of time because if I had someone else illustrate it for me, it would have taken a couple more weeks. But yeah, the biggest thing was just like getting the reviews and drafts over I think I had 23 drafts with him of just edits it was pretty crazy <laughs> well I was gonna say you must have had a really good elevator pitch if he was like okay here we go let's do it <laughs> like where I was like rehearsing it I was like looking in the mirror you know making eye contact and just saying it over and over again <laughs> oh that's that's good and it's even even if let's say like for whatever reason it you know didn't work out or something like at least it would be you know that experience and you can always you could have always gone to another publisher like you are kind of describing it as the end-all be-all but I want to say you know you could always go to another publisher or even worst case, if you did have to self-publish it, like if anyone out there is listening and is thinking, you know, well, maybe I want to do that, but I might get rejected and then it's over. But in reality, I feel like it's not like you can always go to someone else or there's always going to be a way, you know, if it's really meant to be published, I think it's all about finding that right person. Um, kind of like finding a job, honestly, like, in the way that you would pitch yourself in your story, I guess it's the same for the book. You know, you're providing that value to the publisher, essentially. So, and you talked about all the different drafts that you went through. And I think, I, I mean, obviously I have not, I'm in the process of writing my memoir. And so it's taking some time just because certain experiences, how you were talking about um, your dad and your aunt, like, sitting them down and sometimes, you know, maybe they wouldn't want to open up. And so it was all about getting kind of that right moment. And it's very similar with writing a memoir, just about things that you've gone through. Like I have this chapter that I've been writing now, probably like for a few months. And I just, I just can't get it like how I want it to sound um, because it's was one of the hardest things. So like the day my dad died is basically what the chapter is about. And so I want to lay it out. You know, I, I just have this certain vision for it, but it's taking a while because I have to like put myself back like in that moment, which obviously I don't want to do, but it's important that I do because I want it in the book and it's something that I went through that I want, you know, other people to hear about. So you mentioned designing the cover or drawing the cover of your book. Was drawing something that you were always interested in or did it just kind of happen? Like you were just decided one day I'm going to draw the cover. Yeah, I've always loved art. It was you know, my favorite thing to do. I would either be doodling on my homework or, you know, being in some art competitions. But for the cover page specifically, it was, I signed up for this competition called Downtown Doors in San Jose 
or if you win, your image goes onto a door in San Jose for five years and it kind of gets promoted that way so other people can look at your artwork. So I was, this was toward the end of my writing stage and I was thinking, oh my God, if I make a book cover and I submit it and I win, then that's basically free promo for five years. When my art teacher originally brought it, or my photography teacher brought it up, at first I kind of wasn't into it and I started thinking about it and I had a week to submit my art. So I just started grinding it out on Adobe Illustrator. Um, the inspiration actually came from a chapter titled Dennis was an apple and I was a pear because it's taken in from one of their letters. And so I made my, well, I need to pull up my book. <laughs> I made my dad the oak tree with the apple and then I made my aunt this kind of like, I don't know how to describe it. It has like pink flowers on it with a pear because it kind of references another thing in the book where she mentions the sweater that she loves and has pink flowers on it. So I tried combining those two elements. And then I made them trees because of the title Trees Without Roots, which I'll explain the meaning, meaning in the next question. But yeah, it took me like 28 hours to draw, as I mentioned before, because of the amount of details. And unfortunately, I didn't win the competition, but it's fine. <laughs> At least you tried. I think that's so cool. And if anything, you still ended up with the cover of the book and there is meaning behind it. You know, it's not like you just kind of threw something random just to have a cover, <laughs> you know, like everything had, has, um, every element has its own meaning behind it, which I think makes it that much more special. So tell us a little bit more about the story behind Trees Without Roots. How did you land on that name in particular? Okay, so I think I was doing research for some sort of chapter. It was more towards the end, the political aspect for American foreign policy. Yeah, for chapter 18. And I was just researching, trying to figure out what programs the U.S. had to offer for Bosnian refugees. But then I started to think like, oh, what did Americans really think of Bosnian refugees from a dual religious background? Now, as I was doing research, I saw that some Americans actually referred to these Bosnian refugees from a dual religious background as trees without roots because of that same idea, like, oh, their two identities are out fighting, so technically they have no identity because they can't pick a side. Um, so having that sort of conflict within themselves and their background, it made them a tree without roots. And that's why I chose it as my title. Okay, I gotcha. So it was through research and then I had actually never heard of that term before. So I think that's really interesting how that's kind of what quote unquote like outsiders kind of saw it as. It's really interesting and it kind of helps with marketing the book too to people who aren't just from the Balkans that, you know, they just want a good story to read. I think that definitely helps as well. So very cool. I'm super excited to read the book. I did just order it and it should be here this week. So I will definitely... I just, I'm so excited. From everything that I've heard, I'm like, this is going to be so good. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And yeah, I think, I think the story is inspiring because, you know, you are someone so young, but you did something that a lot of people, you know, they probably aren't ever going to do in terms of 
sharing their family story. I think it's so important. And if we don't have these different mediums and different ways of remembering what happened, then what's going to happen in terms of like history and what our kids learned? Like that's something I always kind of think about. So finding these letters and translating them, going through the entire process and just everything that they had gone through it gives you just like a almost like a newfound appreciation for where you come from and just everything that's kind of gotten your family to this point so I think it's great that you took the time to do that and you still balanced it with everything else that you had going on so that really shows that anybody could do it if they really wanted to and if they have you know that kind of story to share like why not I'm sure there's so many stories out there that people are just you know afraid to share so I will obviously leave the link to the book if you guys are interested in reading it as well as your website Instagram Facebook all that good stuff but feel free to just let our listeners know how they can get in touch with you if you want to just shout out whatever the handles are go for it okay so for my website, it's just treeswithoutroots.com and you can, there's a contacts page where if you ever want to send me an email, it also has a link to all my socials there. My Instagram is also at treeswithoutroots and my Facebook is Ella Cholich. Perfect. Awesome. And I'll leave everything in the description, but thank you so much for being on the podcast and just sharing your story with us. Thank you for having me and thank you for listening to this podcast and my crazy stories. <laughs> <laughs> we, we love cr crazy stories here. That's what we're all about. So thank you guys for listening to this episode. And as always, if you're interested in being featured or if you know someone who's interested in being on the podcast, definitely send an email to hello at balkanbread.com with the subject line podcast. Give us a brief description of what you're thinking and we'll definitely set up a meeting to go over it. So Thank you guys again for listening and we will talk to you on the next episode. Bye everyone.